Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I'm your host, Jason Napolitano. I have Chris Sheridan on the line. How you doing, Chris? Doing great today. Great to be here. I, uh, I'm excited today about our show. We are doing the initiation of the pyramid, which is section seven of Manly Hall's uh, secret teachings of all ages. We're going to go uh, and cover that um, briefly just to give you a flavor of it, a taste of it. Um, encourage you to go in and read it for yourself. It is a fantastic uh, kind of overview, uh, particularly the second portion of it, actually the um, third portion of it, I guess it is. Uh, it starts on page 116 in the reader's edition, the pyramid mysteries. We're going to probably uh, cover quite a bit of that and then other stuff as well. I'm excited to be able to get into this. Obviously the pyramids are an interesting and um, popular uh, topic. Hopefully we'll add a little bit, uh, contextualize it a little bit for you. I am the author of if you can worry, you can meditate. And Chris is the author of the spirit in the sky. And we have both been studying this material for many, many years now. Um, esoteric material, occult stuff, spiritual stuff, religious stuff, mythology, etc. So we talk about those things here on the show each week. And uh, we're hoping that you can help uh, support the show. Um, I don't want to stay on uh, this topic for too long, but I just want to encourage you to support the show. There's uh, an option on anchor.fm slash cosmic eye. Uh, to be able to donate um, uh, per month, 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99 a month. Obviously, anything that you uh, can donate would be awesome. It helps us to move forward uh, with what we're doing. Uh, Chris and I are actually planning on starting an ancient wisdom academy, which is going to start online, and then we're going to move it into the uh, the real world uh, as soon as possible. Uh, so if you you know if you can support the show and help support us by buying our books and so on. Uh, donating what you can. Uh, check me out on cosmiceye.org or look at Chris's website at chrissheridan.com. Uh, and we're going to have uh, more information uh, pertaining to that as, uh, as the weeks go on here. So thank you for tuning in. Let's get into the initiation of the pyramid. Oh, also, I wanted to thank the supporters that are supporting the show right now, by the way. Thank you, guys. Um, we appreciate your support and your listening. So let us get into Mr. Manley Hall's secret teachings. So I want to read a little uh, section to set this up that Manley Hall wrote. He said, Supreme among the wonders of antiquity, unrivaled by the achievements of later architects and builders, the Great Pyramid of Giza bears mute witness to an unknown civilization, which, having completed its predestined span, passed into oblivion. Eloquent in its silence, inspiring in its majesty, Divine in its simplicity, the Great Pyramid is indeed a sermon in stone. The Great Pyramid is indeed a sermon in stone, and one that has lasted for many, many thousands of years. Um, the first sort of uh, evidence we have of any sort of talk about it that's, that's written, as far as we know, uh, besides the Egyptians themselves, is from Herodotus. He is the so-called father of history, and his uh, accounts come from about 400 B.C., won't get into all the uh, explanations, but suffice to say that Manley Hall thought that his uh, that he was a highly revered but somewhat imaginative historian, and he he uh, quoted as his description of how the pyramids were built as colorful, colorful but fraudulent, but a fraudulent story 
to conceal the true origin or purpose of the Great Pyramid. Um, in that he thought actually that Herodotus was probably an initiate and so that he himself was not um, allowed to really speak about the true, the true reality of what the pyramids were for. So I find that an interesting, uh, an interesting way of looking at that. So today, obviously, sounds like from day one, you know, there's been a mystery yeah. involved with the pyramid, but even, you know, to antiquity, there's been speculation and misinformation um, and just the great mystery with the Great Pyramid. Exactly. And, you know, it's still, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about really quickly is, is um, you know, I think two, a couple of, one of the things, one of the things that, that's, that's challenging, we talked a little bit about this uh, before in, in, in shows before, but also before we, we got online here doing the show today. Uh, one of the challenges that looking at ancient mysteries and looking at ancient history and civilizations is the fact that we, as modern, quote unquote, rational thinkers, uh, tend to run everything through our, our own lens of reality. And the sort of scientific materialist worldview is the prevalent worldview that we grow up with in the West, most of us. Um, so that necessarily colors the way we see things. Now, the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Mayans, uh, ancient cultures, uh, indigenous peoples here in this country and around the world, uh, all types of uh, societies that are not based on rationality and science and the sort of Western way of thinking, you know, that comes through the Greeks and Romans, um, viewed the world and actually, we in the West viewed the world the same way prior to the Enlightenment period and prior to, you know, the, the sort of ascendancy of, of science and philosophy and logic and rationality. Uh, we viewed the world, and, and many people still view the world this way, mythologically speaking, symbolically. They, they interact with the world in a complete, with a completely different lens. Uh, everything has a specific order. Everything has a certain meaning. Um, you know, the mythological stories are words that you actually live by, breathe. Uh, they have a depth and meaning that I think we have difficulty understanding today. Um, you know, and the imagination and the sort of uh, mythological spirit that existed was much more connected to a sort of archetypal or unconscious understanding of the, of the world. It was, they were, they were closer to the unconscious, let's say, than, than we are. You know, we're more, uh, we're, we're in a realm of thinking dominated um sort of a thinking dominated kind of paradigm right so you know mm -hmm. the 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 uh that's that's a challenge then for us so we've got to try to try to put ourselves in the in the mindset of those those are you know those earlier cultures if we want to try and understand them would, would you agree with that well definitely and it's true that we can't really look uh, it's almost like a different language we even try to look at the words of ancient scriptures and texts uh, with a way that we look at words today, mm -hmm. uh, even though they may have been words uh, back then as well. They were known to be parables, allegories, metaphorical stories and symbols that lead towards something else. We tend to look at the letter and it's literal and it's exactly, and it's in black and white and, this is what it says and you can spell check it and fact check it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It, uh, 
was just as factual back then uh, or with this different type of mind. Um, but what has been gleaned from it goes far beyond the actual words and it's far more significant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And there's a there's a there's a depth or sort of a uh, profundity or sort of a, you know, a symbolic understanding that goes well beyond the kind of surface literal understanding that 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 we that we make of things. And, you know, there there's even uh, obviously there's going to be great challenges, though, you know, the, despite the fact that they they, un they understand basically what the hieroglyph, you know, hieroglyphs say, there's still a you know, there's a great divide. You know, we were, we, we, especially in that time, um, in the 1800s, you know, that was the age of the beginning of, you know, materialism and, and rationality. So, you know, there was necessarily this sort of, uh, um, scientific way of, of, of viewing this material. So, you know, I think that we have to remember that there were probably many different understandings of the symbolic, uh, language that was, uh, that was written on in the temples and inside the the different burial chambers and all of the different papyrus scrolls and so forth that they found, uh, even though, you know, with the Rosetta stone, they did uh, uh, Champollion and uh, I think Taylor was the Englishman that worked on that, uh, were able to crack the, the hieroglyphics code. There's still some, some, some doubts as to whether or not they, they understood the deeper meanings behind, behind some of those symbols and people are still trying to crack those those codes today and we'll continue to do so and i'm sure into well into the future and probably find greater and greater depth as as time goes on um, well, the uh example of that in this chapter and having to do with the pyramids the great the sphinx that's um, in front of the pyramid plaza um is just that uh, if you want to just maybe mention that and get that because it it, it um, goes into what we were just saying about the symbolic or the literal Mm. Yeah, good point. Well, why don't you why don't you talk a little bit about the Oedipus story and the and the and the riddle and so on and and share that with the with the listeners uh, and set well, that this, allegory yeah, has, has to do with Oedipus. There are several you know tellings of the of the riddle of the Sphinx and it it appears in several myths, but definitely uh, most popular is the Oedipus um, story. But essentially, um, to gain entrance. Um, you had you were confronted by this sphinx, and it would ask a riddle. If you successfully answered the riddle, you could gain passage. Um, otherwise, and according to some stories, you, know, you will suffer a painful death if you answer incorrectly. But the question is essentially this. What animal is it that in the morning goes on four feet, at noon on two feet, and in the evening on three feet? Now, this is fairly familiar mm -hmm. in occult scientists. So we may know the, the answer to it, but I think it's more important is, you know, how that answer is derived and what that means to an allegorical symbolic um, question, this riddle. Um, there's two things going on, the feet. You think, well, okay, what creature has four legs and then it has two legs and then three legs or feet. Um, can't really look at them entirely as being your own feet because mm -hmm. that doesn't work. Um, and the timing of it that this creature in the morning has four, at noon has two, in the evening three, those are symbolic. So mm -hmm. if you try to think of a 24-hour period in the time of day, 
you're not going to get the answer right. And that would be a very literal approach to solving this question. And the answer is man, a human being, an individual that in the morning, being in the youth, the baby uh, early childhood stage, you're crawling on all fours. So you have four feet. In the adult stage, at noon, you're talking about the uh, you know, time of within a person's life, this middle part, <laughs> we're walking on two feet. And then in the evening, uh, some people call it you know, the autumn of your years, um, when you're getting older, uh, that maybe you use a cane or something, a crutch to, to hobble around on. And that's the third foot, so three feet. So you have to look at the feet symbolically, but it, the, where it really tricks you is this morning, noon, and evening. And if you look at them as a 24-hour period, you're lost. But if you look at them as different phases or stages of our own lives, well, then you're really onto something. So that's where the literal interpretation will not help you. Yeah. Having to look at a more symbolic one so it ties in with, with what we're talking about. That's one example of... Well, then did you, I like uh, also how he goes on underneath that, the picture of, uh, uh, of the Sphinx, where it says Oedipus and the Sphinx. And it says, there's still another answer to the riddle, an answer best revealed by a consideration of the Pythor Pythagorean values of numbers, or Pythagorean. The four, the two, and the three produce the sum of nine, which is that natural number of man and also of the lower worlds. The four represents the ignorant man, the two, the intellectual man, three, the spiritual man. Infant humanity walks on four legs, evolving humanity on two legs, and the power of his own mind, the redeemed and illuminated magus, or magician, or wise man, adds the staff of wisdom. The Sphinx is therefore the mystery of nature, the embodiment of the secret doctrine, and all who cannot solve her riddle perish. And so it's interesting that the Sphinx is, is, guarding, is guarding the pyramids, essentially, and it's, it's a clue to to I think the understanding that and the mindset that one needs in order to to investigate the mysteries of those uh, those ancient monuments. Um, so very good, great uh, great point bringing up that Sphinx. So you know, like Oedipus, you have to answer that riddle, but within your own mind and be able to approach uh, approach the the study uh, symbolically and esoterically. So. Uh, you know, it's interesting because the the Great Pyramid just kind of physically, obviously, they're they're awe inspiring. We still, you know, there's so many debates as to how they were made and and so on, and that's all the sort of physical uh, aspect of it. That is what I think is interesting about how you know today a lot of these different different arguments about how the pyramids were made or who they came from or where where you know when they were when they were constructed and so forth. They all seem to a lot of, not all but a lot of the arguments seem to revolve around technology and again that uh that technological viewpoint that sort of using a material argument or a sort of historical materialist point of view you know is a very modern way of looking at things and even some of our our more uh imaginative and and creative ways of 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 explaining the pyramids generally involve some sort of higher technological um, advancement or our higher technology from somewhere else. For example, um, people talk about uh, ancient aliens these days. Those are popular, popular explanations of how the pyramids were made. And that is certainly possible. I'm not, I'm not arguing that it isn't, but it's, it's, I think it's, it's indicative of our sort of materialist mindset in that 
instead of looking for a spiritual or symbolic or mythological sort of understanding or, or even the, the possibility that it isn't some sort of a technology, but maybe some sort of a spiritual endeavor that helped to create the pyramids. We, we think, well, it must've been a, you know, a superior life form from, from some other galaxy uh, that, that created these, these, these monuments. So again, that's a technical, but that's a technological argument. You're saying, some, and that's our viewpoint. That's our viewpoint. And so, you know, and a lot of these people, and again, I, I'm not saying it's not true. It's quite possible that it's true. I, I can't say there's no life anywhere else. And I can't say that they didn't bring technology that we did not have. It's quite possible. However, it's, like I said, it's indicative of the way we look at things also. You know, and I think one of the, the that viewpoint that, for, for example, possibly aliens will come at some point and share with us some greater technology than we have to solve all of our technological problems. Well, it's like, you know, the tech technology is, is, is what has caused a lot of the problems that we have with the environment, with, um, with our own psychological system, with the breakdown of, of families and so on. Technology is, is the problem in a lot of cases. Granted that- When it's it, our blind reliance on it. Our blind our reliance. Deferring our own common sense to, well, if we just have the better algorithm or Sure. face recognition well use your eyes <laughs> sure know? exactly but we want to trust the computer that an imperfect person programmed oh exactly and and i and i think that um you know we take and also then we 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 complicate things to a great deal i mean the earth itself is is the, is the, is the most efficient sort of source of life that, that that we can possibly know of you know and it's a perfectly balanced system that you know, we as human beings have sort of gotten in the way of its, its natural order and its natural balance um, through our, you know, through our, our sort of messing about with it, uh, with our technology, with our technological advancements. And granted, again, a lot of these, these technologies are fantastic. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it were not for technology. Mm -hmm. We would not be talking on these cell phones if it were not for technology. All these things are fantastic. I'm not knocking technology. I'm not a Luddite. But at the same time, you know, we overcomplicate a lot of things and we look for answers through our own lens. And we have to remember sometimes to shift that to thinking in a different way, uh, you know, a mythological, a spiritual, an esoteric way, um, which means we need to study some of these ancient wisdoms and go deeper and meditate and, you know, remember the power of ritual and, and, and symbol and look at the great artwork of, of the past and so on and look for clues, look for clues. It is, it is there. So there, uh, you know, the truths are out, the truths are out there, certainly just like uh, the X-Files, the truth is out there, right? Um, well, the truth is also in there. There you go. In you. Indeed. And Indeed. that's where we even get the word etymologically. Uh, one, uh, I guess, approach is that pyramid like p-y-r like a pyre like a funeral pyre or pyromaniac having to do with fire fire yeah and and mid um the fire in the middle and that's this our solar plexus in the middle of our <laughs> center of our bodies um that this fire inside you know the passion or the spirit within the you know the christ in you or the internal buddha nature uh, lots of cultures have you know, described this, but that's another symbolism of the pyramid that, you know, we become the pyramid, that we are this structure that brings down the 
information and the power and the presence from above and it emanates out into our bodies or pulls out from within. Yeah. Great point. Great point. And I think that was, that was, Manly all makes an interesting point too, where he talked about the, um, the capstone on the pyramid, oh, the capstone's gone. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're not really sure whether or not the capstone was ever even there possibly. Uh, you know, that's yes, another... that the humans can only go so far that the divine power is, is the only thing that can be complete. Yeah, exactly. Which I found fascinating. And then at, at, at some point then, you know, that the pyramid becomes symbolic really of us and, and the, um, and the pyramid itself as a, as a, a symbol of, uh, a sort of the fire, um, the holy fire or the kind of, um, you want to call it the one divine flame, he calls it, which is the life within every creature, that spirit, which, you know, which um, we all share. That's an, Definitely. That's an interesting, uh, he's got a different bark today. Either, oh no, you're in a different spot. So it's resonating a little, a little, a little differently. I, li- I like that. I like that. Daily dog. God bless him. He is. Always- Maybe it's a Sphinx in training. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> He is for Anubis. He's guard, uh, yeah, he's, he's Anubis. He's he's guiding a he's guiding a soul to the weighing of the heart, uh, which that uh, actually takes place in the Book of the Dead. There, where uh, Anubis guides the uh, the recently deceased to uh, weigh his heart, and it has to be lighter than a feather, or he will not. What was that sound, by the way? Did you hear that? Good. No, there's a lot of interesting sounds going on. That one sounded. This is what it, it sounded like: like chips being shuffled, like like poker chips being shuffled. So yeah, I'm always <laughs> like, I always like that uh, that scene in uh, in um, Manhattan when Woody Allen moves to the cheaper apartment, and he's like, "What is that? What is that sound? It sounds like someone. It sounds like someone sawing a. What is it? What did he say? A, a, Someone's sawing a tuba or no, not a tuba. Oh, I can't even remember. That's a great line. But um, at any rate, I'm going. Uh, I'm going off on a tangent. So uh, back to back to the pyramids. So here's the thing. Um, here are a couple of the ideas. We're going to get into a more symbolical, mythological, and spiritual sort of approach to what the pyramids probably uh, probably mean. Um, because I, I like that you touched on that with um, with that fire the meaning of the word, the etymology of the word here, uh, obviously a couple of the, a couple or a few of the ideas that people have for the pyramids so far, these are some of the theories. So land, land like a landing pad or some sort of a, a, a symbolic representation to guide UFOs back uh, giant power generators. Some people believe they were possibly generators of some sort of energy and they, they, they look at, uh, Tesla's work with wireless energy transmission and so on, and, and postulate that they were uh, some sort of a generator, electrical generators, uh, astrological or astronomical observatories, calendar to measure seasons or when the Nile would flood, some sort of marker uh, signifying the placement of stars or planets or, or, or galaxies, etc. There's different theories about that. Um, I, they've been called resurrection machines for the pharaohs. They were built solely to to make sure that the pharaohs uh, were 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 resurrected into the next life properly. Um, and then there's you know there's other there's other uh, theories out there altogether. Uh, perhaps they were all of those things. Perhaps they were none of those things. Um, 
I think the 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 interesting part of it though is that uh, the one thing that often gets lost in all of these speculations, again, is the spiritual or the esoteric understanding of what the pyramids um, signify. And that's what uh, we're going to get into a little bit in this section, uh, which starts 116 in the reader's edition of The Secret Teachings. And it's uh, called The Pyramid Mysteries. And I want to read a little section of this because Manley Hall really lays this out beautifully. This gets into numbers and some of the symbolism of the pyramids, not so much in the measurements, but just in the, the different sides of the pyramid and so forth. So the square base of the pyramid is a constant reminder that the house of wisdom is firmly founded upon nature and her immutable laws. The Gnostics writes Albert Pike claimed that the whole edifice of their science rested on a square whose angles were silence, profundity, intelligence, and truth. And that was from Morals and Dogma. The sides of the Great Pyramid face the four cardinal angles, the latter signifying, according to Eliphas Levy, the extremities of heat and cold, south and north, respectively, and the extremities of light and darkness, east and west. The base of the pyramid further represents the four material elements or substances from the combinations of which the quaternary body of man is formed, being earth, air, fire, and water. From each side of the square, there rises a triangle typifying the threefold divine being enthroned within every quaternary, quaternary material nature, and that would be mind, uh, spirit, and soul. I'm adding that. Manley Hall didn't say that. If each baseline be considered a square from which ascends a threefold spiritual power, then the sum of the lines of the four faces, 12, and the four hypothetical squares, 16, constituting the base is 28, which is the sacred number of the lower world, otherwise known as the Tetractus, the 10, the ten, uh, the ten uh, number pyramid of uh, Pythagoras, uh, the 10 uh, spheres of the uh, Kabbalistic tree of life. If this be added to the three septenaries composing the sun, that septenary is a seven, Composing the sun, it equals 21. That equals 49, the square of seven, and the number of the universe. The number of the universe. And he goes on to note that the 12 signs of the zodiac are there and, and so forth. So there's a lot of deep symbolism in the pyramids themselves, just looking at the outer construction, just looking at the number symbology. Uh, one of the things that he brings up, which I think is really cool, he talks about the three main cham chambers of the pyramid are related to the heart, the brain, and the generative system, the spiritual centers of the human constitution. The triangular form of the pyramid also is similar to the posture assumed by the body during the ancient meditative exercises. I think that's a clue. Hmm. I think that's a clue to understand the pyramids. Maybe, you know, maybe one needs to be in a meditative state or in an altered state of consciousness. Well, we see all those colossal figures all throughout the Nile Valley, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Nasser, the, the, you know, just about every temple have a symbol um, that these figures, these people, maybe they're pharaohs, maybe they're uh, mystics, um, but they're always seated. Mm -hmm. They're always sitting. Yep. And their hands are on their knees. Yeah, exactly. And you don't really see the pupils. So maybe that's their eyelids. Uh, maybe they were adorned at one point. But to me, it just it always just looks like they're meditating. They're sitting there straight up, hands on their knees in a more Western meditation pose and as opposed to a lotus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it just seems they're already in a meditative state just all over the place. Just That's hundreds a great of point. statues. Yeah. And, and most depicting of, that. most of the uh, the Western types of meditation, the uh, magical Kabbalistic uh, 
ceremonial magic type uh, meditation is done in that so-called Egyptian uh, pose or Egyptian posture. Um, in fact, I think one of the uh, one of the early uh, writers uh, on, on ceremonial magic and one of the more important ones, Aleister Crowley, uh, pointed out that that was probably the best uh, posture for for Western people to use. It um, works for me because I'm, you know, full-time wheelchair user. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, well, I just getting on the floor and trying to fold my legs up. I just yeah. sit in my chair and I do try to put my feet on the floor, though. So it's it's more grounded than and that's, on the footrest of my chair. Exactly. That's that's, that is important. It is that 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 grounding. Actually, the uh, the middle pillar exercise that uh, Israel Gardi uh, leads um, in one of his tapes. Actually, that's on. Um, on YouTube under, if you just look up Regardi, R-E-G-A-R-D-I-E, middle pillar, there's an excellent guided meditation that uses that, that very uh, Egyptian position. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, meditation. So, so that's, uh, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting point um, that's made there and, and may, you know, may help us to understand uh, how, you know, the mindset that we need to get into in order to go deeper into the mysteries in general uh, specifically, uh, specifically, excuse me, the, uh, the pyramid mysteries. Um, the other thing I wanted to look at, uh, is a great little, little, um, paragraph. I want to read this again. We were talking about this earlier, but the difference between our, uh, our mindset now and, uh, the ancient mindset. So Manley Hall says on, uh, page 119, Reader's Edition, Secret Teachings of All Ages. Though the modern world may know a million secrets, the ancient world knew one, and that one was greater than the million. For the million secrets breed death, disaster, sorrow, selfishness, lust, and avarice. But the one secret confers light, excuse me, confers life, light, and truth. The time will come when the secret wisdom shall again be the dominating religious and philosophical urge of the world. Uh, and then he goes on, but that's, you know, that one secret, we'll get into that at the end. Uh, but that one secret is the most important, um, secret really to the pyramids in, in, I believe, uh, in general. So again, it is, and you could even make the parallel, uh, that it's the heart of Taoism. Yeah. Uh, good call. That there is the undifferentiated one that you can't really depict or describe or really even see. And then it gets divided into the two of yin and yang. And then from there, read the 10,000 things, this multiplicity of stuff of the world. Yeah. Um, but before, or in the Big Bang Theory, you know, there's singularity before the explosion and the dissemination of all the galaxies and star stuff, mm -hmm. uh, that at some point this contained, it was, a, it was a singular thing. So this one story, this one myth, this one truth, uh, is far more significant than all the millions of little truths and stuff out there. Exactly. So exactly. It is recurring story. And that uh, the truth, the secret that I will reveal in the last paragraph and that I'll talk about at the end of the show is definitely related to that, that, that unity and that unified theory, uh, oneness that we all share. All right. So, um, one thing that Manley Hall talked about, I want to, uh, also point out another great um, YouTube resource. If you look up, um, if you look up uh, initiation of the pyramid, the initiation of the pyramid, Manly Hall on YouTube, you'll, you'll see several uh, people who have copies of, 
of his uh, his discussion, which follows pretty closely this chapter we're talking about. Uh, but one thing that he got into that was really interesting that is not in this particular chapter is he talked about how uh, Mammy all talked about how at, at about in eight twenty uh, in eight twenty A.D. Uh, a caliph called uh, Ma- Mamun uh, went and visited and took with him uh, some men to uh, excavate the pyramid. They believed there was treasure there. Uh, the point really to the whole story, I won't get into the whole story about that. You can, you can read about it in the book and he talks about it also in, uh, in that lecture. Uh, but the point of it is that at that time in 8, 820 AD, the pyramids were still completely sealed covered over there's casing stones on the outside of them we see them now as these sort of step stepped uh, pyramids and and some of them were built like that stepped uh some of the older uh, or not the older ones but some of the the smaller ones the the great pyramid however was had casings on it so it had a smooth surface uh, these casings were uh were they granite or limestone i know one was granite limestone. okay so the 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 outside casings were limestone and they were smooth and and he speaks he spoke of them as being smooth as glass and shiny uh, at this time and there was no entrance that could be seen Uh, so they had to actually cut their way in using uh, what what was quote-unquote primitive uh, iron I guess the vinegar was used to 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 as an acid or something that helped to cut the stone I'm not exactly sure but um at this time, the pyramids were completely closed off. So Manley Hall was talking about how possibly they had been like that the entire time, most likely. And then he said, well, either then there was probably a secret entrance, which has not been found, uh, or, uh, for example, the, the initiates. Basically, Manley Hall's whole conjecture in this, in this chapter is that these pyramids were used for an, an initiatory purposes. Yeah. initiatory purposes so essentially it was a sort of a, a, a ritual um that uh that bestowed a, a sort of uh, an immortality uh, upon the upon the person who who went through these rituals so what he said was then possibly plato who who was supposedly initiated into the egyptian mysteries um for example maybe traveled astrally outside of the body Perhaps there was a, a way that the Egyptians used to travel, the soul traveled outside of the body, the confines of the body, and then astrally projected itself inside the pyramid, and that that ritual was done that way. So he postulates that that was one possibility. Or maybe sort of a secret entrance, or there were some, some chambers below where those uh, initiations were done. So really Manly Hall's whole, 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 whole idea to agree with him is that the pyramids were some sort of either symbolic um, initiatory complex or they were a sort of physical material um, temple for an initiation of possibly pharaohs or very high level initiates uh, which conferred upon them this this understanding and this knowledge he relates that then uh, not in this but uh, in other places to freemasonry and how ancient um, Ancient Egypt is the sort of model or the prototype upon which um, Freemasonry is built and connects a lot of the symbols uh, to that ancient, uh, that ancient rite. Um, and I find that, that very interesting and I think a, an important connection. There is actually uh, a great book uh, that Manley Hall did called um, 
I was going to get into this at the end, but that's a good segue into it. Uh, uh, Freemasonry of the Ancient Egyptians, which is uh, you can get it on Amazon, and it's a it's a uh, paperback, and I think it's like ten or eleven dollars. That is a fantastic uh, a book. And then Ledbetter's book, L E A D B E A T E R, Ledbetter, who is a famous theosophist. Freemasonry and its ancient mystic rites is excellent. Uh, so those are two really great sources to see those Freemasonry and um, and ancient Egypt connections. Um, any hints toward about this uh, ritual or uh, perhaps a rite or initiation that might take place? This goes through the mystic passageways and chambers of the Great Pyramid, past the illumined of antiquity. They entered its portals as men. They came forth as gods. It was the place of the second birth, the womb of the mysteries. Beautiful. Beautiful. So some transformative some sort of transformative process took place there either yeah right. and well and as as rituals should you know rites of passage you know you should be a little bit different sure. than before having gone through it because it it is an experience so it would have been a visceral experience uh, there's exactly. some notion that maybe there was a, a cross in there a sideways cross like a, an x um crucifying the uh, material part of man and the tomb you know that part which is dead uh, in the world and then what remains is this living spirit so it's a uh, real you know second birth exactly that so, someone would go through and on that on that note that is uh, actually the uh the great secret that i talked about earlier uh this one secret that the pyramids are pointing at manly all believes and a lot of uh the um uh, esoteric and occult uh initiates and leaders uh, spoke about this. I'm going to read this last paragraph because it's, it's fantastic. The dying God shall rise again. The secret room in the house of the hidden places shall be rediscovered. The pyramid again shall stand as the ideal emblem of solidarity, inspiration, aspiration, resurrection, and regeneration. As the passing sands of time bury civilization upon civilization Beneath their weight, the pyramid shall remain as the visible covenant between eternal wisdom and the world. The time may yet come when the chants of the illumined shall be heard once more in its ancient passageways, and the master of the hidden house shall await in the silent place for the coming of that man who, casting aside the fallacies of dogma and tenet, seeks simply truth and will be satisfied with neither substitute nor counterfeit. So then essentially that secret, that secret uh, that's hidden is that there is an eternal part of yourself. There is, a, there is an, an essential sort of a spirit within, within man which does not die, which is resurrected, uh, which never dies and is never born. And that's what you were talking about earlier, connecting it to the Tao and that sort of um, uh, eternal uh, energy source uh, from, which, from which we come. And that really is is his message of what the pyramid is, whether or not that there were actually, um, you know, rites or initiatory rituals that took place in the pyramids. They stand as a symbol of that idea. And we need to remember that more than ever today, especially with our lack of of rites and rituals and and symbolic understanding. And that's one of the poverty, uh, the poverties, I think, that we that we have uh, in this, in this material age, we have a wealth of, of stuff. We have a wealth of stuff 
and a poverty of, of spirit and spiritual understanding and wisdom. And, you know, through working with this material, um, you know, we can begin to, to kind of reconnect with that. And that's why Manly Hall, I believe, is such an important teacher is that he shares these, these, these truths in a, in, a, in a pretty simple way, uh, but also in a very profound way and, um, you know, goes deeply into them. But th there's something for everyone in his work. And that's, that's one of the beauties of Manly Hall. Uh, and I think that that's something that we try to do on this show every week is kind of hint at things and point at stuff and give you some clues, uh, give you some other uh, resources to look at and so forth so that you can begin to create meaning in your own life. And that might be something as simple as, as doing a little bit of meditation, uh, taking time to study some mythology, whether it's Egyptian or, you know, Native American or, or African or, or whatever. Um, maybe creating some kind of ritual for yourself that you do. Um, and there's some great books and, and, um, and resources even on YouTube about, you know, basic rituals and so on. Uh, but just trying to reconnect with that symbolic and that mythological understanding that ancient man had. And it's still in us. Archetypally mm -hmm. speaking, it's still, it's still in us, right? I mean, that stuff doesn't die, right, Chris? No, it doesn't. It's, you know, whatever death it has is because we have cut ourselves off from it. It's still there. We are the ones that are suffering <laughs> yeah. through, through this disconnection. The source is, is fine. Um, we are the ones who are impoverished. We are the ones who are out of balance because we haven't uh, maintained that connection you know, with the higher things. And, and we were talking about a meditation to you know, maybe connect with this. One thing I've done a couple of times is I've um, gone in, and I've seen pictures and video and stuff of inside the king's chamber where there's the open sarcophagus and really nothing else in this room. Yeah. Um, is to you know, project yourself in there, remote view yourself. And there may be lying in that sarcophagus and, um, and just sitting in that space where you're complete, it's in the middle of the pyramid and you're completely surrounded by this world's largest building. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what is that? And just let it, let it go from there. Look at the walls. Is there a, a writing? Are there other people? Is sure. it this, are you alone in there? What can you hear? What does your breathing sound like? And, you know, and then crawl yourself out of the sarcophagus and then, you know, get done with meditation. But as, as a way of just, you know, maybe connecting with that without really looking at an answer or saying, well, this is because of that. And this symbolizes sure. that. Just put yourself there put and yourself let the mystery there. unfold. That's, that's let a the really, pyramid speak to you. No, that's a really great, great way of, of looking at it. And, you know, so often I think we think that the, the mysteries are secrets that we're going to figure out by by reading them or by finding them or, or by someone else telling us what they are. And, and uh, you know, those are just the hints. The real secrets are what you just talked about there, the experiential knowledge that you get, the gnosis or the knowing uh, that you have uh, in connection with those, those experiential events and those altered states of consciousness, the meditative uh, explorations and so forth. Great, uh, great point and uh, a great little exercise. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So I want to share actually a, a really quick uh, prayer that I was going to do at the beginning, but forgot. And so I'm going to share this at the end here. This is a, a translated prayer uh, from, uh, from Papyrus. Uh, this is a prayer of, of, of thanks. Uh, and it goes a little something like this. Holy Isis, holy Osiris, we give you thanks that your love, beauty, and truth are manifest with power and peace 
throughout all spheres, within all beings, and we accept your blessings now in mind and heart. It's like a prayer of thanksgiving or blessing that the ancient Egyptians would use. Beautiful, uh, beautiful stuff. That is going to about do it for us today. Unfortunately, we are at the end of our, uh, at the end of our show. Uh, I want to give you a couple of, uh, of extra resources, and Chris may have some to add, too. Like I uh, said previously, Leadbetter, uh, Leadbetter's uh, Lead Freemasonry and its Ancient Mystic Rites. Uh, another great book is a more modern book. This is John Anthony West's book, Serpent in the Sky, and he uh, lays out a lot of the information from uh, uh, Schwaller de Lubitsch, who is, uh, who is the next one I'm going to recommend. Uh, R.A. Schwaller de Lubitsch, and I'll put that name on uh, the description of the um, of the podcast so you can find that some of his books include the temple of man a study of numbers sacred science and then a book called herbach h-e-r-b-a-k which is a sort of fictionalized version of what life was like in ancient egypt which is fantastic uh and more books by him as well uh, and then of course manley hall's secret teachings lost keys of freemasonry uh, freemasonry of the ancient egyptians uh, anything else that you can think of uh, that might be a, a great resource for them to understand uh, ancient Egypt and symbolism, et cetera? Uh, yeah, well, Lost Keys by Manley Hall, that's very easily available. Uh, and there's some illustrations that show a, you know, a projected maybe or an imagined ritual going on in the king's chamber. So it can even put you uh, closer there. It's a really good visual by the oh, same yeah. illustrator who did all the color plates of the secret teachings he also illustrated. Um, and that would be Lost Keys that, of Freemasonry. That would be Mr. Knapp of Blessed Memory. Yes. And it's even just the connection with Masonry itself, uh, you know, with the pyramid and these ancient builders and the architects that uh, trued the stone. You know, a lot of that symbolism and uh, metaphors, these allegories, really uh, are part of the you know, DNA of, of Freemasonry. Uh, you know, this link to, to the pyramid and, exactly. and its builders. And it wasn't uncommon uh, in ancient times to have any kind of a guild. If you were a stone cutter, if you were a uh, you know, medicine person, uh, whatever it is that you did, you were part of some guild with your trade. And it was very spiritual as well that you were doing the work of the gods. You were the hands and feet uh, for the master. Mm. Um, so this reverence for the mysterious builders of the, the pyramids uh, certainly, uh, you know, influenced the, uh, the Masonic um, yeah, stories. Great point. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, and again, please, uh, please support us if you, if you are at all able. Uh, Anchor.fm slash Cosmic Eye. You can find the, uh, the uh, place where you can, can make a donation there. Um, check out our books. I, uh, I'm the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Chris's uh, Spirit in the Sky. And both of those are available on Amazon or on our websites, CosmicEye.org or ChrisSheridan.com. Thank you again for listening. Uh, we appreciate all your support. Please uh, like us, uh, you know, give your feedback. Um, if you want to hear a specific subject, go ahead and leave a, a message. That, again, can be done through Anchor.fm. You can record a message there uh, through your phone, and we can actually uh, put you on and answer your question if you, if you wish, or we can just talk about it uh, on the show. Anyway, thanks again. Have a great week. Uh, we appreciate your listening and your support. Goodbye, and God bless.